This is episode number 41 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And in this episode, we're so excited to welcome Sharin Eskandani to the podcast. I am a huge fan of her work and everything that she writes resonates so deeply with me. And I'm sure you'll feel this in today's episode too. So before we begin, Sharin, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you so, so much for having me. We're going to give you just a super quick intro and then we will give you the floor so you can tell everyone more so what you do, what you're all about. So Sharin is a certified professional life coach accredited by the International Coach Federation. Her life coaching business is called Wholehearted Woman. Her holistic approach to transformation is influenced by meditation, spirituality, and the arts. Her work has been featured in Cosmo and The Today Show. In addition to working with private clients, she does public speaking and leads workshops around New York City on wellness and mindset. I love that you say I am passionate about this work because I am proof of its power. Can you tell us more about how you got to life coaching, the work that you do with your clients, and also tell us more about the details of Brown Girl Brunch and your singing profession too? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, But yeah, no, I will dive in deep. Uh, So I really do put that I am proof of of this work because um, I am. I um, found myself, I moved to New York in my early 20s to pursue a career in opera. Um, I'm also an opera singer. And um, I just I worked for it. You know, I came here and I I just love the energy of the city. And I found myself, I was very, very fortunate, one of the very few um, performers who was working full time, making all of their income from just singing. And um, I was literally living that life that I had dreamed of. Um, But of course, I was just so caught up in that comparison trap in that idea of I have to be perfect that I wasn't really realizing that I was living my dream life. Like I was just like, okay, like when I get this job, I'll feel like I deserve to be here. Or when I do this thing, I will, you know, and finally, um, I, a couple years ago got my dream job, which was, um, a contract from the Metropolitan Opera to sing in Carmen, which was like my literal childhood dream come true. Like I was looking at the contract and I was like, wow, like this is what I had dreamed of. This is why I moved to New York. And once the initial excitement kind of wore off, um, I looked at that contract and I was in sheer terror. I felt like such an imposter. 
I was like, I don't deserve this. I'm going to show up to the first day and they're going to be like, how did this girl get this job? And it was just a huge aha moment for me because all the circumstances in my life were exactly the way that I'd always dreamed of them being. And it didn't feel the way that I thought it was going to feel. Right. And I just, it really, it was the first time, like it made sense to me that the circumstances in your life don't dictate how you feel. I always just thought, okay, cool. Those people don't know what they're talking about. Like, right. Like once I lose 10 more pounds, I'll feel great. Um, once I get this job, I'll feel great. But I was like, Oh no, no, no. That actually comes from the inside. So, um, I started, I had a year and a half between when I got the contract and when the job started. And so during that time, of course, I was like working on my singing, but also I started working on mindset and, um, I started doing a lot of, um, mindset work, meditation, mindfulness, and I started working with a coach and it was transformative. And, um, yeah, I, I say that my biggest success is not performing at the Metropolitan Opera, but performing there and enjoying every second of it. Even when I messed up, even when I was tired, I was so present and so grounded in what I was doing. And, um, and that's also when I discovered, I was like, actually, I really want to be coaching. And so I went and did, um, I got accredited, I got a certification and, and that's how I got into coaching. And now, um, I work with women and I help them kind of, I work with women who are very similar to myself, who have very big dreams, very big goals, and they keep getting in their own way, or they don't realize that along the way, they're really doing amazing things. And so it's like, how do we create a, a, a journey that's sustainable, that's it's fun, that's enjoyable. And so that's what I kind of do with them as well. Um, and to touch on Brown Girl Brunch, um, when I first started my kind of um, journey into wellness, um, I loved it. I loved the, the, the things I was learning, especially like mindset and mindfulness work, which to me was like just groundbreaking, right? Um, but it was hard because as a woman of color, I found myself in spaces where I was often the only person who looked like me. And, um, you know, I worked through that discomfort because I really wanted to be present in those spaces. I really wanted to soak up that knowledge. Uh, but I realized that that's not for everyone to do that, to work through that. So I knew that when I started my own business, I wanted to create spaces for women of color um, to find this work accessible, to see that it's for them and it's by them. And, you know, it's, it's for everyone. So Brown Girl Brunch is kind of um, a passion project of mine with, with my girlfriend, um, Shell Martinez. And we have a brunch for women of color um, every other month in New York, um, where it's like, it's a networking, it's a networking space, but really it's actually to create community. Like we kind of sell it as if it's networking and then the women end up crying at the end and they find friendships that they never th would have thought they would have, you know, and they're like, what is this? What did you do to me? So, um, so we kind of trick them, but it's, it's beautiful. Like just to have all those beautiful women of color in that space, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I've seen your photos from it on Instagram and it looks incredible. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. One more question about the clients that you work with. What would you say are the most common struggles that they're having that lead them to you? I think one of the biggest ones is not trusting themselves anymore. Like I, the, one of the first things I do with my clients and in my group coaching program is we do an entire month on just how do we build trust again? How do we trust our gut, our intuition? 
um, we get so caught up in not listening to ourselves and like making to-do lists and taking everyone else's um, thoughts and opinions into consideration or just even not making decisions because we're afraid of judgment, um, that we are so not in touch with ourselves. Um, And knowing that difference between your intuitive self and your ego and knowing when a decision is being made from a place of total fear um, and knowing when a decision feels uncomfortable because it's right for us but it's just an uncomfortable path because it's something new. So I think that that's something that most women don't realize that that's what's really holding them back. But I would say that all of my clients across the board, that's the first thing that they really need to heal is that relationship and that trust that they have with themselves. Uh, I love so much of that. And I know Jess does as well. And, um, and with your coaching business being called wholehearted women, and I know you've touched on this already with what you've already mentioned, but Can you share what really is a wholehearted woman? Yeah. So actually my business is called wholehearted coaching and my group program is called wholehearted woman. Um, But for me, um, wholehearted woman is a woman who really recognizes that I, and I use the term she's perfectly imperfect, right? That like you, you have to really fully embrace the best parts of you and also the not so best parts of you. Because I think when you are not really embracing the parts of you that you're so not in love with, you really can't fully be present and you really can't fully embrace who you are like 360 degrees wholeheartedly, you know? And so for me, the work that I do is really being like, you know, yes, let's celebrate what is going so well, but let's also make friends with and make those parts of us that we have been ignoring for so long, let's have them some, like some space for them to, to breathe and to communicate with you because there is wisdom in all parts of us. So that's what being wholehearted to me truly means. Love that. And what would, uh, what are maybe the first couple steps, um, that we could all take to go along that route to feel more like a wholehearted woman? I think one of the biggest things is, um, allowing space for the not so comfortable feelings and not, I think a lot of us, you know, something I've been really, it's been really resonating with me is this notion that there, there's no such thing as a bad feeling or a bad emotion, right? We just have emotions and we have feelings and some of them feel really great and some of them don't feel as good, but that, um, we really have to, um, let those, quote unquote, bad emotions be because once we let them be, we can find so much like knowledge and so much like growth from that space, you know? So I think one of the big things that I, that I work with my clients and I create a really safe space because I think for a lot of us, we're so scared of, of being in that bad emotion, like anger or sadness or resentment or guilt. Like even just saying them, you're like, Oh, that feels terrible. I don't want to sit with that. But when we do, it's like every part of us is trying to protect us from something. Every part of us has a really great mission statement and it just may not be doing it in such a great way. So I think for me, that's like one of the big things is like, okay, let's do this together at first. Let's go, let's dig through the fear. Let's dig through the sadness. Um, And then let's create tools for you that like once we're not working together all the time or at all, you know what to do in the real world. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the journey through motherhood 
to a T, I feel like, for so many people too. And for me, all those things that you're bringing up, sadness, the resentment, the anger, the guilt, like all these things hit so hard for especially the first round postpartum for me. And I felt like I had no like no stores of resiliency to them, no emotional resiliency to them the first time around. Like I was just really angry or really sad or really resentful and so uncomfortable with all of them. And it took like two years postpartum that first time before I felt like I could breathe through them slightly. Like I didn't go to this catastrophic place with it. It's uncomfortable work for sure. It's so uncomfortable, but the more you do it and the more you realize that actually there's growth here and I trust myself to process this properly, um, then you're like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this resentment. Let's do this anger. Like, let's, let's, let's see what we can get from this. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to, we're constantly called to really sit with our emotions and because if we put push past it, you know, I really believe that emotions and feelings are just energy. It's just energy. And that energy, if it's not processed properly, will go somewhere that it's not supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, and for women, I think it goes inward a lot of the time. So guilt, shame, um, self-soothing through outside or anger towards other people that don't deserve it, you know, so that energy will go somewhere. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about manis- manifestation. What does this mean to you and how do we do it? Oh, goodness. Manifestation. So I remember when I first heard about manifestation, I was like, what are all these white ladies talking about? (laughs) This is ridiculous. Like what? Um, But now I'm like, oh, it's really a thing. Manifestation really is a thing. (laughs) And to me, manifestation is, it's tricky. Like I, I believe in manifestation, but I also know that it is, it is tough. Um, that is when you put a desire kind of out into the world and you know with certainty that it's going to happen. And knowing with certainty means that I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And you have to live in the energy that it's already happened. And I think that's the hardest step. Because like, I remember when I was new to it, I'd like write these lists and I'd be like, my boyfriend is going to be, and you just write this long list. Right. Um, and then like nothing would happen. Right. But I wasn't in the energy of it happening. Like I was like, okay, well I have my list, but I was out there in the world really living from that space of, I don't think he's ever going to come. And so manifestation is like whatever you're really believing on a subconscious level you were going to manifest. And for those people in the audience who, who know a little bit about manifestation, you know, we are manifesting all the time. Um, our energy is, is kind of bringing back to us what we are giving out into the world. So, um, and you never want to think about that when you manifest something not so great. Um, but really you have to dig deep and say, well, what am I really believing here on a subconscious level? Um, so manifestation, oh man, I could talk to you guys about it for an hour on this topic itself. So, um, but it's powerful, but it's, it's a lot more tricky than it seems. It's not just like, I'm going to say what I want and it comes back to me. There's work involved. Can you talk to us about how you manifested your relationship with your current partner? Oh my goodness. Okay. So, uh, (laughs) my, my boyfriend and I, we always look at each other and we're like, we manifested one another and 
and we're not even that couple. Like, I don't know why it makes me think of people who like, you know, wear crystals all the time. And this is totally cool, but like they like burn incense and they, you know, stare into each other's eyes for 20 minutes meditating. We do do those things sometimes though, which is so, oh my God. So I guess we are a stereotype, but, um, so we, I, I actually started coaching because I was such a mess when it came to dating. I was, I turned 30 and I was like, oh my God, I'm not married. I don't have a kid. I'm like, what is happening? And I just started dating out of this place of real lack and desperation. And that's what I was getting just really not good experiences. So my first coach was a dating and relationship coach. And um, at the time, I didn't really realize that she was teaching me mindset and manifestation work. I didn't know it at the time. And um, she was just like that thing of like, you have to know this person is coming. And um, I, so the really interesting thing about me and my partner is that I saw his picture online on Instagram, like five years ago. I was going to this gym, he's a personal trainer, and he was friends with someone there. And I saw his picture and I was like, he is hot. And I Facebook stalked him and he wasn't living in the city I lived in. And I just, a voice inside me said, you're going to meet this guy. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're going to meet him. And I completely forgot about him. And then two years later, I met this coach and she gave me some really amazing mindset and manifestation tools. And um, two years after we started working together, I saw his picture again on Instagram and I looked and he had moved to New York. And so I contacted someone I knew who was working at that gym and she put us in touch through Instagram and we, we started talking and, and everything just kind of flowed from there. Um, but what was incredible was, um, one of the big things that I say with manifestation is, is you really have to live in the energy, which to me means what would it really feel like to be in that space? So for me, it was, what would it feel like to be with your partner? And I had this visioning exercise I would do where I wouldn't see this person's face, but I would feel what it was like to be around this person, around him. And I'll never forget the date we went on. It was like our fourth date. And I felt it. I felt what I felt in that vision. And I knew, I just knew without a doubt, like I, I, I've been dating for two years doing this visioning exercise and I gotten really close, but not exactly it. And that's, and I felt that and I was like, all right, I think this is, this is going to be something special and it has been. So yeah. Goosebumps. (laughs) And, um, a lot of our listeners are moms and I think many moms often feel that they're making mistakes with their kids or worried about making mistakes. I know Jess and I talk about this all the time. Um, And so you say we don't make mistakes, we actually make discoveries. So, and this feels very comforting to hear this. So can you talk more about this? Yeah, so it's it's really, I one of the things that I find, and this is personal also with the women that I work with, um, when we get caught up, when we get afraid that we're gonna make a mistake, we become paralyzed right? And we totally get out of our own intuitive self of like, what is whatever that is. And, or when we've made mistakes in the past and we hold on to them, we can't make decisions, right? Cause we're like, Oh my God, I made that mistake then. And so when you see your life as this thing of like mistakes and right decisions, it's, it just becomes very hard to navigate. And, you know, I would say this with hundred percent certainty that some of our worst mistakes have given us some of the greatest insights or greatest discoveries, right? And we may not have figured that out until years later, 
sometimes days later or hours later, but sometimes it takes a bit of time. But um, our mistakes are opportunities to grow and to discover. And it's just really accepting that, you know, I will not make the right decision every time, but I will have growth from this decision. You know, I think indecisiveness is so many of us fall into that. You know, we just don't make a decision. And that in and of itself is a decision. And I would say that's a terrible decision. <laughs> you know? So it's really just trusting yourself that like, if I make a decision that's not right, I know how to get out of this and I will learn from this. Because, I mean, that's we have, using the word mistake, mistakes are just going to be part of the process, you know, and, and I just fully believe in that. Yeah. I love that. I want to talk about worrying, too, as I think that this is a really common experience that runs deep through motherhood and parenthood and many other experiences, too. How can we break this pattern of worrying and also the fear of not worrying, as in we worry and it gives us a sense that we're doing a good job. Like we care so much, we're worrying about it, but that doesn't add up. Does it? No, I, I so agree with you. And I'm like, my default is worrying. So this summer I, I made it my worry. I was like, this is my summer of not worrying. And it was a really interesting experiment. Um, but I think the thing with worry is exactly what you said, Jesse is like, we have been taught that if we're worrying, we're on top of it we're more invested, we care about something, but really worrying robs us of the present moment. It completely takes us out of the present moment and it puts us either in the past or in the future into circumstances that we are like still punishing ourselves, like what we did, we're still punishing ourselves or things that haven't even happened and we're trying to predict the future. Um, and I, there was a coach who once told me, it's like, it's like going on a roller coaster ride and closing your eyes the entire time and not enjoying the ride at all. And you, and you end up, you know, getting there safely and you're like, wait a second, like that was kind of exhilarating and I missed the entire thing. Right. So it's like, we brace ourselves. We think by worrying, we're protecting ourselves, but we're really just bracing ourselves for a crash that may not even happen. Um, so I think with worry, it's, 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 I had a huge discovery this summer. Um, I meditate and, um, in my meditations, I find it, it's like, for me, it's like I'm sitting with myself. And so I allow myself for thoughts to pop up. And there was one day where just worry kept popping up, worry about my business, worry about just everything. And I just was like, I just, I was like, okay, worry, what are you so afraid of? And I literally, I literally asked like the worry, like, what are you afraid of? And it communicated, like it just, it communicated so beautifully, like, and I could see why it was so scared. And then once it communicated that, I said to it, well, what can I do for you to feel just a little bit better, to feel a little bit more safe? And I remember one of the things it said was just like, if you could just make a list of everything that you feel like you got to do, just write it down. And if you could just maybe do a couple things on that list, that'd be great. And I didn't realize that up until then, I wasn't even writing anything down. Do you know, like, I just like, yeah, that makes sense. Like just write down all the stuff that you think you have to do. And I can't tell you there was, I was, it was just such an aha moment. I'm like, Oh my God, all I had to do was just write things down. And I feel like a hundred times better. <laughs> so just, that's that thing of like sitting with the part of us we don't want to sit with. Right. Yeah. And, and we also wanted to talk about failure. 
Um, and that we're often scared of failing or of doing a bad job. So how can we reframe our mindset about this so we stop feeling held back from trying and going for it? So I think failure is um, kind of really connected to um, all of those things of like worry and making the wrong decision. Um, and I don't know whether it's because, I mean, I still worry about failure um, a lot, but <laughs> because of my background as a singer, oh man, I've gone to so many auditions and been rejected and quote unquote failed, right? And realized that I was still okay. Like I could still take care of myself. Um, the opportunities that I wanted still came at the time they were supposed to come. You know, so with failure, it's really embracing like, what does this, what does failure mean to me? What do I think I'm going to lose? Um, what do, and a lot of the times failure is about other people. Like, it's like, oh my God, what are other people going to think of me? Like if I just, it's like if a tree falls in a forest, if I fail in my house and nobody knows about it, who cares? But if I fail in front of everyone else, that's, that's tough. So I think it's really like, what does failure mean to me? And if I keep holding on to this, what is it going to hold me back from? Um, and I think that that's kind of like one of the greatest questions you can ask when it comes to like things like failure, fear, perfectionism, like what are these things holding me back from? That's what I was going to say as you were talking about that. It reminded me of how you speak about perfectionism. One post that you wrote on Instagram that really hit me was something about how perfectionism isn't for us. It's about other people. Yeah, perfectionism. And this was an aha moment that I had. Perfectionism is all about them. It's about proving to them that you have it together. It's about proving to them that you deserve whatever you deserve, that you're good enough perfectionism, when we're so fixated on things being perfect, it's so we can protect ourselves from their judgment. It has nothing to do with us. It's like we want to prove to the outside world that we have it together. And so it's really like perfectionism holds us back from doing so many amazing things in our life. And my new motto in life is like, I'm cool with B plus. Like B plus is my new motto. And B plus to the outside world, looks actually pretty good. Like people are like, Whoa, this content's so great. And I'm like, this is my B plus work. But if I was waiting for a plus, I would not write as much content. I would not launch as many programs. I would not do as many things as I do. And so I realized that, you know, one of my mission statements is to really, you know, connect with people. And if I'm in perfectionism, that means I'm cutting myself off from one of my core values, which is connecting because I wouldn't connect as much, you know, I wouldn't write as much, I wouldn't do as much. So perfectionism holds us back from really authentically being who we are and being in our value. Mm -hmm. yeah. I always talk about myself being a recovering perfectionist. And yes, me too. <laughs> hands up. And I think that, oh, there's a meme about motherhood. I forget exactly what it says, but it's something like, I'm not even trying to wake up every day and be a really great mom. Like that is not my intention whatsoever. It could be, but I know that I would suffer for it every yeah. single day. And so uh, there's so much pressure on moms to be really great moms. But what if you just release that? Then what could that look like for you? And more importantly, what could your experience in motherhood feel like for you? And uh, that's been really fun and important for me to focus on these last three years. I love that. 
Yeah. You say self-care starts with knowing yourself. And I love that so, so much. So how do you talk about self-care with your clients and what constitutes or what counts as self-care? So for me, self-care is so broad. It's whatever is going to nourish you, whatever is going to kind of, um, you know, make you feel more aligned. And so that can look so like sometimes self-care to me is sitting down and and looking at my finances, right? Sometimes self-care is sitting and vegging out and watching Netflix or sometimes self-care is, you know, going to the gym, but that's why I always say self-care is, is really rooted in knowing yourself. When you are in touch with just like your energy levels, with what your body is telling you to do, then you make the best decisions for it. You can take pause, you can take rest. And sometimes self-care is action. Sometimes it's not. So I know there's like that stereotypical, you know, idea of self-care, which is like rest, I think, you know, and, and I think that is a big component of it. But, um, but yeah, I remember someone saying like, looking at my finances is self-care sometimes. And I'm like, that is true because it makes me feel like, okay, like more aligned. Like it's so weird. Right. So it's really trusting that. And it's hard because, you know, sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to like fitness, um, sometimes you wake up and you're like, I don't want to go to the gym. And it's knowing which voice is, I don't want to go to the gym because I just need a day off. Or it's, I don't want to go to the gym because like, ugh, I just don't want to do this today. You know, and that's sometimes a really hard distinction to make. But when you really are rooted and, and know your voice and know what those energies feel like, you know which voice to follow. So that's why for me, self-care is all about knowing yourself. Yeah, on our episode about self-care, I said that one of the things I do for self-care is looking at my accounting every month. And it's exactly that. I hate it, but it yes! will eat me alive if I don't. Oh my God. Yes. 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 (laughs) Okay. For the moms in the crowd who might be feeling this, how do you coach someone around the guilt that might be showing up for them around self-care? Okay. So me and actually Chrissy King have talked about this before, which we, I, we both kind of hate this idea of like, fill up your tank before you can fill up others. And it's like, why can't you just fill up your tank for you? Like you need, you are, you're a Ferrari. Your tank needs to be filled with some good gas just for you. You know what I'm saying? And so, yes, of course, when we practice self-care, we can show up in our communities better and more aligned and more authentically. But also, like, we deserve just as much as everyone in our communities and in our families to feel really grounded and really good. And so it's like the same consideration and same kind of um, thoughtfulness that you, we all put into kind of taking care of those around us. We have to put that into ourselves as well. Why are we any different? Right. And actually today's post on my Instagram was about like, when did you start valuing other people's comfort over your own? Right. Like when did that happen and why? And, and it's something I struggle with for sure, but it's just something we all are working on. All of us. Yeah. I saw that and I loved it. Yes. Okay. One more question about self-care. What are your favorite forms of self-care? So for me, um, a big component of self-care is um, being with my community, 
So whether it's hanging out with friends, um, with my boyfriend, it's just like really disconnecting. And I love with my boyfriend, he's really, he really does not use his phone ever. So I will not be on my phone. So it's really disconnecting. Um, also it's just, uh, you know, as, as, as someone who has their own business, you can be working seven days a week. So, um, and I, I actually get really energized with my work, but it's really being intentional and resting when I need to. Some days I'll have my schedule and I'll be like, nope, I'm scrapping this. I need to kind of take more rest. Um, but I always, every morning I have a morning routine and it changes. Some days it's like 10 minutes. Um, ideally it's about a half hour. Sometimes it's an hour, but that morning routine for me is, um, what really sets the tone for the day. It's my greatest gift to myself that I can give myself that before I even check my phone, I do a little bit of meditating. I read, I journal, whatever I feel like I'm in the mood for that day. So that for me is a huge component of self-care. And something else that, um, that you talk about as, as well as happiness. So kind of flipping it from some things we were talking about. Um, and you mentioned, here's the truth. We place so many conditions between ourselves and how we want to feel. So can you talk to us about this? How does this often show up for people? So, you know, a lot of my work is around um, cultivating uh, happiness and joy in our day-to-day -day life. And we have been kind of conditioned to feel that certain conditions are going to make us feel happy or joyful or fulfilled. And again, it's like that experience I had, and I'm sure so many of us have had, is, is that we've gotten that thing, that condition we were waiting for, and we still don't feel the way, feel the way that we thought we were going to feel. And I call this, um, if only mindset, like if only had a few more dollars, if only had a few more hours of sleep, if only I got a few more things done and we were like, okay, well, if only when I get those things done, then I'll, then I'll feel like accomplished. But all of us know this on the other side of the, if only are a whole nother set of if onlys. So it's really about being like, present and being like, okay, regardless of whether those things get done, I can feel accomplished. I can feel joyful. I can feel happy. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's work. It's progressive work all the time. I think one really uncomfortable way this can show up for some people is when they might finally get pregnant or have a baby if they have been struggling or trying to for years and years and years. And then you pass into postpartumness and it can be really hard and filled with a lot of discomfort. And then we can have a lot of guilt around those feelings or shame around those feelings. Do you have any suggestions for that? For just the guilt and shame of when that happens? Oh, goodness. Um, I think when it comes to guilt and shame, if, if you're familiar with any of Brene Brown's work, she always talks about how guilt and shame are just such stagnant emotions, right? Um, that really like, there's just, there's not much that we can do there. At least like anger, there's like, there's some momentum to it. Whereas guilt and shame, it just sits in us. And um, again, for me, when it comes to guilt and shame, it's like really asking it like, why? Like what's underneath this? What is underneath this guilt? What is underneath this shame? Because usually it is, it's, it's, it's sadness or it's anger. Um, like last night, my partner and I, we had a very uncomfortable discussion and we both felt uncomfortable, um, but we didn't know why we felt uncomfortable. So we really took a beat. And once we figured out what that discomfort was trying to tell us, then we were able to really communicate with each other. 
And I think in those moments when we're by ourselves, it's like communicating with ourselves. And, and that's, that's so, so tough. And I know for something where you've been working so hard to have that thing, oh goodness, it, that guilt and shame, it's, it's, it's very heavy, but it's to know that like, actually you have to go through it to, to, to get past it or get, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Ugh, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sharon, is there any other parting words, any other advice that you would like to leave our listeners with? Oh, goodness. I have a, a coach that I love, and she says that life should be 50% positive emotions and 50% not so positive emotions. <laughs> and really, it's just knowing that when we get into those funks, that's just part of the journey of life. Like, we're not supposed to be skipping and having dance parties and feeling vibrant all the time. And so do not be scared. Do not be doubtful. Do not second guess yourself when you feel something that doesn't feel so good. When you feel sadness, when you feel guilt, when you feel shame, that is part of the process. It's supposed to be 50% like that. So when those feelings are there, just know and trust that it's supposed to be there. And I think that is just one of the greatest pieces of advice that I've gotten recently that's really helped me. Oh, that's so good to hear. <laughs> okay, where can we find out more about you and your coaching? So on Instagram, I'm under Wholehearted Coaching. On Facebook, I'm um, Wholehearted Coach. And um, on, uh, on my website, which is wholehearted-coaching.com. Perfect. We will link to all of those in the show notes. Shrin, thank you so much for being with us today. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me, ladies. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 